The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Isaiah 9, 6 and Romans 8, 19 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, you're not hearing from me tonight. Uh, we have the privilege of hearing from uh, a good friend of mine by the name of, of Josh. Uh, Josh is the lead pastor of a church called Redeemer Church uh, down in kind of the far South Charlotte, kind of Weddington area of our city. Uh, and Redeemer got planted about a year or so before us. And Citizens is connected to Redeemer through a group of churches called the Harbor Network that partner together to plant and multiply thriving churches. So if if, you don't, if you're not aware, every uh, bit of money that you give to us as a church, 3% goes directly to see churches planted across our country because we believe that the mission of God is bigger than just what he wants to do through us as one local church, not only across the country, but also in our city. And so Redeemer uh, is a dear church friend of citizens, but Josh is also a dear friend of mine. What I want you to know about him real quick before I invite him up to bring the word, uh, two things in particular that that. Josh and I uh, see very eye to eye on. Number one, Josh cares deeply about Jesus. He sees Jesus as what we just sang, the hope of the world. But number two, Josh also cares deeply about Christ's church. He cares deeply about seeing the mission of God move forward through the local church. And so it's a joy as citizens to get to partner together with them because what God wants to do in our city is much larger than just what he wants to do through and in Citizens Church. And so we uh, are excited about what God is doing in and through Redeemer. We pray for them. We care about them. We support them. Josh has been uh, such a good and dear friend to me over the past uh, two and a half years or so. I've called him more times than I can count saying, am I crazy? And he's been so kind to remind me of the gospel that Jesus cares about his church and seeing his mission go forward. And so if y'all would, uh, bring the extra amens tonight for him because he's going to hate everyone. That'd be great. No, I'm just kidding. He's going to love it. Uh, but if y'all would, welcome Josh for me as he brings the word for us. So you'll find out real quick, I talk a lot slower and a lot quieter than Tim. <laughs> so if you're straining to hear me, that's, just, that's why I talk so if you want, our church is in Weddington, that's like go south until you get to Cornfields. That's where we are out in the, uh, the, the town that I live in is called Mineral Springs. So if you can just imagine what that looks like, that's kind of where I live with the Cornfields. Um, it's great to be here with you guys at Citizens. Like Tim said, him and I have been meeting pretty regularly for the last two and a half years. Our church planted in fall of 2019. And just to be able to have like-minded churches, our church is very like-minded to you. Um, just 
it's a privilege to have that. Not everybody has that kind of um, church family that are outside of your own church, but still in the same stream, in the same boat, going the same direction. So we're really thankful to be part of Harbor and really glad for you guys to be here, even though you don't know we're there. Uh, a lot of our folks don't know you're here, but hopefully that'll change over time as we uh, work together on uh, gospel renewal here in Charlotte. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Romans chapter 8. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of Advent and Christmas, the opportunity that we have to consider um, the incarnation. Jesus, our Lord, becoming a human being, taking on flesh. God, open our eyes now that we would see it, that we would love you because of it, and that you would uh, give us hope tonight. So take these words, uh, your word, and the words I prepared, God, and make them uh, settle into our hearts, doing what only you can through your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Tim, one of the things Tim didn't say about me is that I have four sons, four sons, and so I'm responsible in my house for grocery shopping. So you can imagine we buy a lot of groceries. I'm like at the grocery store all the time, lots and lots of groceries. And if you go to a grocery store and you pick up any item that's not, let's like a wrapped item, not a produce item, but any wrapped item, you'll find that it has an expiration date on it. You see these things like a best if used by? They're very confusing. Some of them say best if used by, some of them say sell by, some of them say once you open, use within 12 days. There's all these like expiration dates and you have to like do calculus to figure out when you're allowed to use your food. And there's three kinds of people with respect to these to these uh, Best Buy dates. There's the person that like will always throw the food away two days before just to be safe. Then there's Enneagram ones like Tim that throw it away on the day that it says, right? And there's people like me that just will use it until you can't choke it down because it's so rotten, right? No matter who you are, no matter how you relate to expiration dates, um, eventually your food's going to expire, right? You put milk in the fridge, doesn't matter how soon you eat it, if you leave it in there, it will eventually go bad. Milk has a shelf life. This is a little illustration, a little analogy maybe of the way the world works around us. Everything has a shelf life. Right? Batteries have a shelf life. You know, car seats, they have a shelf life. The government says after so long you have to throw your car seats out because they're no longer safe. Computers, I don't know how many of you have had to recently buy a new MacBook. It hurts but computers have a shelf life. Eventually they deteriorate and run out. I recently learned this week that uh, toothpaste has a shelf life. So go home now, check your toothpaste, throw it out if it's bad. It's a parable for all of life, right? Life, phys the physical world is full of things that decay, things that are breaking down. There's physical decay everywhere. There's rot, there's mold, rust, erosion, just the, the physical world is breaking down before our very eyes. And we see that in our food, we see that in all the things that we buy. And this breaking down of everything that we experience is, I think, one of the most pressing problems that we experience in our daily consciousness. Like, there's a lot of problems you have, but this breaking down of physical stuff, including your own body, presses into your consciousness every single day you wake up. I think Walker last week made a joke about back pain, how soon it starts, right? Like you wake up in the morning and you have an instant awareness that your body is breaking down and the world around you is breaking down. All the things that we have require maintenance. I have a 2005 Honda Pilot. It's the definition of breaking down. It's rotting. It's falling apart from the inside. 
You have to do maintenance on your lawn. You have to do maintenance on your house. Everything requires maintenance. Why? Because it's breaking down in front of our very eyes. The series that you guys are going through is called Hope Has a Name. And if Christianity is going to offer us hope, any kind of hope at all, it, it has to address this problem, this problem of decay, right? We don't just want our souls to like float off into angel land. We want all of us to be renewed. Jesus needs to address the problem of decay of the physical world around us. And Walker talked about the spiritual and emotional problems that we have, and he has said that Jesus solves the, those problems by inviting us. Um, he sympathizes with us, he intercedes for us, and he invites us that Jesus is a wonderful counselor in the words of Isaiah chapter 9. This week, we're looking at the next word in Isaiah chapter 9. And it's that Jesus, the next name is that Jesus is a mighty God. A mighty God. Now, in the Old Testament, the word mighty is almost always used of physical strength. You have physical warriors. You have physical hunters, like mighty hunters. You have mighty nations. Sometimes it's referred to God, but almost always when it refers to God, it refers to the physical work that he does in the world, his ability to enter into the physical space and rule over it. And then this word God, mighty God, this word God is the word El. It's a, there's a lot of different words in the Old Testament for God in Hebrew. This one specifically refers to might. This, word, this mighty God phrase is almost redundant. I thought of uh, mighty, might. do you guys know the mighty, mighty boss tones? Anybody? Okay. So I wrote mighty, I wrote this is redundant. Thank you. I had a best friend in fifth grade that loved the mighty, mighty boss tones. His name was Matt. I don't know. Is that you? Okay. <laughs> because I don't know anything about the mighty, mighty boss, but I wrote down mighty, mighty, and I was like, this is a redundant phrase, okay? That Jesus, the, the child, this promised Messiah is going to be mighty, mighty. He's going to be able to control and enter in and rule over all of the physical stuff. That the Messiah is not just coming to restore our spiritual problems, but actually he's coming to restore every single physical problem, including this terrible problem we experience every day of decay. So I want to look at Romans chapter 8. Paul talks a lot about this. And I want you to see three verbs, three actions that we do and that Paul is inviting us into as we think about God being mighty. The first one's found here in verse 22. It says, Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. You know what groaning is? Found a laugh out loud definition. <laughs> to give vent to hypercritical feelings. That's groaning. Anybody have hypercritical feelings about anything? My kids. Okay, my kids. They have so many hypercritical feelings about everything. My son will just be like, no, you can't have that piece of candy right now. And he just breaks down. He just like falls apart, screaming, yelling, running to his room. Hypercritical feelings. He's groaning. He's groaning. We know this experience because we experience it every single day. And Paul describes this attitude, this action, this verb of groaning as happening through the entire creation. We experience this. We experience it every day, day in and day out. Right? The earth itself experiences tornadoes. Does that sound like giving vent to hypercritical feelings? Right? That's what a tornado is in the words of the earth. We have hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and mudslides. The earth is like in these, it's just vomiting up Decay. We see that all around us. The animal world experiences decay. There's a recent, it's like three years ago, came out. You know David Attenborough does all those really good narrations about the earth. There's one that came out a few years ago called The Hunt. 
and it like tracks these big cats as they chase down and destroy. It's a very uh, scary thing to watch. <laughs> but as you watch it, in front of my very eyes, I'm seeing decay. The animal world attacking itself, tearing its own self down. I was in Africa a few years ago, and we went out on one of those safaris that you do when you go to Africa, and you're driving in a Jeep, and there's like lions and things running around, and I actually watched like three or four lions chase a bunch of antelope around. And they like, it's decay. Like it's fascinating for us, but when you stop and think about it, it's the physical world breaking down. And animals are dangerous to humans too. There's snakes kill like 50,000 people every year. One you wouldn't expect, hippos. Hippos are very dangerous. If you, see a, if you see a hippo, stay away. It's very dangerous. They kill hundreds and hundreds of people every year. But we feel the decay in our bodies too, don't we? Right? We, we have pain. We, your eyesight decays over time. Our brains decay over time. We've lived through the last two years of a pandemic. Right? There's sickness. We have chronic illness. We experience depression that's due simply to the fact that our bodies are imbalanced and breaking down. We're weary and sleepy, tired. This idea that we can control our bodies with our minds, it's false. You can't. Your body's breaking down and it's going to take your mind with you. Science has a word for this. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. Any science people in here? It's the law of entropy. It's a scientific law that says that everything is tending towards chaos. That if you just put something out there, it will just tend toward chaos. It's never going to tend toward organization. It's going to tend toward chaos. This is decay. And if you look around and stop and ponder it, you will see your body, the world, everything is in a state of decay. It's in a state of deterioration. It's not just the milk in your fridge that's going to sour. It's the entire physical world. So why? Why is this? Well, it seems, according to Paul, that God has allowed this to happen on purpose. He's allowed the creation to be subject to corruption, which is decay, and he also says that God's allowed it to be subject to futility. Futility. Futility is the word that Ecclesiastes uses that's translated as vanity or meaninglessness. But this idea that Ecclesiastes says that all rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. The sun comes up and it goes back down and it comes back up and the earth is just in this futile cycle. Do you feel that sometimes? <laughs> Work is hard. And I don't know how many of you feel like your jobs just satisfy every part of your body and you never feel weary with them. Probably none of you because work is hard. You ever try to garden in Charlotte? Try to grow a single tomato plant? Gardening in Charlotte is war. It's war against corruption, and it's futility. It's really, really hard to grow stuff in Charlotte. It's too hot. The soil's terrible. Gardening is war because the earth is against itself. I tried to grow zucchini like five years in a row, and one year I had bugs, and one year I had drought, and one year I had fungus, and one year I had weeds, and I got lots of zucchini plants, and I had no zucchini. <laughs> it's futility. There's so many ways that we feel this. And ultimately, we feel it because survival, like surviving in the world for us as Americans in the 21st century doesn't feel hard, but for almost all humans throughout history, surviving was hard. It was a struggle. It was impossible. Right? What's the goal of 
Medicine is to keep people alive longer. 100% failure rate of the healthcare industry, right? So, survival is impossible. We eventually, our bodies decay to the point of death. Now, you hear all of that, and this isn't news to you. You experience it every single day. But there's two common responses that we might have. The first one is pessimism. Like, the the game is rigged. You're going to these carnivals and try to play these carnival games? It's rigged, right? Like, you can't win. It's literally, you can't win. That's part part of the fun. And that's fun at a carnival. That's not fun in life. Right? It's not fun in life to wake up every morning and be like, the the game is rigged. I'm going to die. I can't win. I cannot survive life. Right? And, And you can just get really, really pessimistic about that. The atheist can say, well, God must not exist. And if you're a Christian and you're pessimistic, you're like, well, I'm just going to wait this whole thing out until God takes my soul to some other place that's better off. Neither of those are very hopeful responses. But that's pessimism. But the other, the other one I think that we tend towards, especially in our modern culture, we tend towards optimism. Like the American religion is a religion of progress. For, for, for generations now, Americans have said our entire goal is to make the world for our kids better than it was for us. This is the idea of progress. We want things to be progressing. We want our lives to be getting better every day. We want our government to be getting better every day. We expect history's getting better every day. And we can say, well, we're going to be optimistic in the face of all this decay that we're going to beat it. Right? I love the movie Ocean's Eleven. I watched it like a thousand times when I was in high school. There's that beautiful scene, I'm pretty sure it was improv, between George Clooney and Brad Pitt right before they get on the elevator when Brad Pitt says, or George Clooney is telling Brad Pitt, the house always wins. And the house always wins unless when you get that really good hand, you bet big and then you take the house. And I think a lot of us think that we can be that, we can play that hand. We can beat it. We can beat the virus. We can beat the decay in our lives. We can beat Whatever it is, we, we have this little seed of optimism that says we can make progress, we can beat the decay around us. And the problem with that is that it doesn't reflect reality. The healthcare industry is an $8.45 trillion industry. It's 18% of the United States GDP. 18% of the wealth in our country goes to healthcare. And again, 100% failure rate. We can't beat it, right? I've been following, maybe you've been following the Theranos story. Theranos is Elizabeth Holmes. She started this company in the early 2000s. It's a blood testing, blood testing device. It's going to revolutionize medicine. She got all these people on board, and people invested hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And at some point in 2012, her company was one of the top 50 most valuable countries or uh, companies in the country. And the entire thing was a fraud. She never had a working product. Went for 15 years, was valued at over $1 billion. It was a fraud. How does that happen? It's because we so desperately want to believe that the next big thing is going to change us, is going to save us, is going to overcome the decay. This is how Steve Jobs sold the iPhone. The next thing is the thing that's going to lead us to progress and to success and to hope. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and it's like my kids, they have these Lego sets, and they get out a single Lego set, and it has instructions about how to build it. And the Legos start in a pile. They start in chaos, 
And as you go through the, 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 the instructions, you go from chaos to order, right? I think some of us imagine that that's how the world is. We see chaos around us, and if we just follow the instructions, we can move on into order and meaning and purpose. But it's actually, the world is a lot more like a giant Lego bin that has half of 10 different sets in it. And every day, someone dumps another half in and takes five pieces out. It's chaos. This is the law of entropy. We can't just progress our way into hope and to success and to out to outrun the decay that's chasing us. But there's a third way to respond to this decay that we see, and Paul begins to identify it here. In verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption. This is all rooted in Genesis chapter 3. You've probably heard these verses before. Listen to this. This is what God says to Adam. Because you have listened, this is Genesis three seventeen. because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return you see decay in there that's corruption going things are trending back to dust Right? You see futility in there. In pain you shall eat of the ground. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. From the very beginning, the entire physical order is placed under this curse by God himself. Because, why? Because the relationship between God and man had been severed. The relationship between creator and creature was broken. And out of that breakage, there's a curse laying on the world that leads to this decay. That might sound like bad news to you. That's not bad news. Because that means that corruption and futility are unnatural. Corruption and futility are unnatural. We look around, our daily experience tells us that decay and corruption is natural. That it's going to happen to everybody. But this verse teaches us it's not natural. All of the decay and breaking down that you see around you is not necessary. It's the result of a curse. My kids are watching Frozen this week. I've honestly never seen the whole movie. But I got to the end and I was watching this transformation at the very end where the winter, the permanent winter, goes away and everything comes to life again. And I thought, I think this is stolen from C.S. Lewis. And you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, watched the Chronicles of Narnia. It's always winter and never Christmas. It's a curse. The winter in that movie is a curse. It's something that's set on and can be removed. Right, this is what the scripture is teaching. All of this decay that we experience, it's a curse that's set on and it can be removed. Decay is not a feature, it's a bug that can be removed. And hope is this settled conviction that this is not the way it's supposed to be. The decay you experience is not the way it's supposed to be. And so as we know that, if you know that, groaning, which is our day-to-day -day experience, should lead to our next verb, which is longing. 
If you know that this is not the way it's supposed to be, you can now move from groaning about it to longing for something better. And this is exactly what Paul says both the creation and we are doing. In verse 19, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing. The creation itself is longing for something better. And he says in verse 23 that we also wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I don't know if you've ever seen that verse before. What do we hope for? What do we long for? The redemption of our bodies, not just of our souls, not just of our spirits, but of our very physical being. We long for like rain that always falls softly. Waves that are always the right height for surfing. Never flooding nations. Have you ever had the experience of unboxing an Apple product? Like, you get like a jolt of adrenaline when you do it. It's cathartic for the soul to unbox an Apple product. It's like, what if you woke up every morning and living in the world was like unboxing an Apple product every single day? Brand new. Always new, always fresh, always clean, never decaying. Do you hope for that? Do you believe that that's the way it can be? What about your body, that you're always young, always spry, that you always have more hair than Tim? Right? That you never have back pain. Maybe more than any place else, we feel this in our bodies. We want our bodies to be young, to be fresh, to be able to be used to their fullest. We want that. Do you long for that? Do you believe that that's possible, that that's the way it should be? And as you long for that, then, Paul tells us that as we long for that, we need to long for the actual cure to our problem, which is not technology. It's not health care. It's not the government. None of those things can fix your decay because the problem is rooted in the breakage between creator and creation. And that's the problem that needs to be fixed before we can get to the place where we can experience restoration and renewal. But we spend so much of our time chasing after, looking for, longing for temporary fixes instead of longing for the very thing we should long for, which is permanent, full, complete, physical restoration and renewal. And to do that, we need something way better. We need the curse to be removed. Paul here in Romans calls it the revelation of the sons of God. He says it three times in verse 19, 21, and 23. We need to long for us as human beings to be restored into relationship with God, that all of creation could somehow, some way, get into relationship with God. That's what we're supposed to be longing for. You're longing for a fresh body. You're longing for a fresh world. It should point you to long for being restored to God. And that brings us to our third verb, which is hoping. Because when Isaiah 6 says that a human child is going to be the mighty God, that is what we need. That's the restoration of the creator and the creation, the fusing of God, the mighty one, the one that has 100% perfect always control over everything physical with humanity. And when we come to Christmas time, we see in that moment, in Jesus' birth, that we have a guarantee that all of this physical stuff, this groaning and longing, actually leads to hope, to a true settled conviction that this will not always be this way. 
We see this in Jesus' ministry, right? He, he doesn't just say, hey, come follow me and I'll fix your soul. He says, come here, let me heal your blindness. Let me heal your body. Let me raise you from the dead, he says to Lazarus. Right? We see that. He's healing the physical world. The, the, the disciples say, even the wind and the waves obey him. That In Jesus' ministry, he confirmed over and over and over that he is actually the mighty God, the one who has power over the physical world. But just the reality of Jesus' incarnation should teach us something about the physical world. That God who made it would actually permanently unite himself to physical stuff. That, that sentence alone is worth you going home and spending hours meditating on. That the God who made the world would permanently unite himself to physical stuff. There's so much hope in that because now God is united with humanity and with the physical world in a way that leads it back to restoration. But the most important thing is that we see in Jesus' life, we see his resurrection. At the epicenter of physical decay is death. Jesus has to answer that problem if he actually can restore the physical world. And Paul tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. I think last week, Walker said, to you, that everything Jesus has, you have. Jesus has this perfect physical body that can never decay. If he has that, you have that. That's what Jesus is doing for us. So a church father says it like this. Cyril, it should be up there. In short, Jesus took what was ours to be his very own so that we might have all that is his. This is the hope that our physical world is being restored. It's not just a, an airy promise, but it's a, it's a settled conviction because Jesus, the man Jesus Christ, is the mighty God. That our bodies will be free of decay and futility. So that, there's two responses it invites us to. This is what I want to encourage you to do. The first thing is this, to be hopeful, to be hoping. Hope is a posture. Paul says here that in this hope we were saved in verse 24. This hope, what? The hope for the resurrection of our bodies, not just for our souls, but for our bodies and the entire creation. Back to, I don't know if you've read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, but in, in the, um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this, scene where the beavers are talking to the children and they tell they tell him they tell the children mr beaver tells the children that aslan is here and the children have no idea what that means but they see in mr beaver this disposition of hope because he knows that if aslan is here things are about to change that's what this is about if jesus is the mighty god we have this disposition of hope I want to just point out that hope is much different than optimism. Okay. Christianity does not mean this vague, cheery optimism. I personally find optimists, sorry Tim, to be very annoying. You're an optimist, right? Cheery, all-the-time optimism is annoying. Just The world is broken, people. <laughs> the world is decaying. 
Okay, optimism looks at everything and just says, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, everything's good, everything is not good. Hope is different from that. Hope is a settled conviction for the future. That's different. I found this this week, uh, this is from a, an Anglican priest, and she says, the authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. Christmas, we want to hide all the bad stuff in the closet and get out and set up our lights and pretend everything's fine. Everything's not fine. That's not the point of Christmas. The point is not that everything is fine. The point is that Jesus is the mighty God. And that gives us hope. She continues to say, to be a Christian is to live every day of our lives in solidarity with those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, but to live in the unshakable hope of those who expect the dawn. That is Christian hope. Solidarity with those who are groaning. Solidarity with those who are longing in the expectation that the sun is going to rise. You ever had a sleepless night? You know that guttural feeling that you have when it's like 4.30 and you haven't fallen asleep and you've been through all the phases? The phase is like, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to fall asleep. Then you have the resignation phase and you're like, I'm going to watch four episodes of whatever. And that doesn't help you fall asleep. And by 4.30 you just give up and you have this guttural longing for the morning to come and a hope knowing that it will. That's Christian hope. But the second thing is that we have to be hopeful and we have to be patient. Paul says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is what Advent and Christmas are about, allowing us to stare into the darkness, not look away, not blink, patiently believing in hope that God is restoring and renewing everything. So as you reach into your fridge, Tomorrow, and you get the eggnog out, and you look at the Best Buy date, let that Best Buy date, right, a pointer towards decay, remind you that Jesus is restoring everything, your body, the world, and your soul. That Jesus is recreating us in his own image. So I encourage you, I exhort you to be hopeful this Christmas, not by ignoring the decay, but by laughing at it. Because it does not going to have the last word. Okay, let's respond, as you guys do every week, in three ways. By singing, praising this mighty God who is Jesus. Members of the prayer team are in the back. If you need prayer, we pray. Then we also come to Jesus' table. Every week we do this. Every week at my church we do this as well. We come to the Lord's table where Jesus took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it. And he said, this is my body given for you. The mighty God of the universe giving his body. Okay, that's not an accident that he gave his body for the restoration of our bodies. In my church every week we, re we recite the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen Christ will come again. If you believe that, if you want to believe that, if you are believing that, we invite you to come participate with us now or as we sing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. 
Christ in a body just like ours, experiencing, staring into the darkness and decay. We pray, Father, that you would give us hope that our bodies and the decay around us can be renewed through Christ. Give us hope and faith and grace. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.